Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Greetings and welcome to the War Room podcast, where we're recording from the U.S. Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. I'm Jacqueline Whit, Professor of Strategy and the War Room podcast editor, and we're so happy that you've joined us for the program today. Here at the Army War College, we believe a rigorous and critical understanding of military history is vital to the professional education of military officers and senior leaders. Looking carefully at historical events, people, and interpretations gives us great insight into the nature of war, strategy, policy, and leadership. And commemorating important events in military history and using their anniversaries to take a fresh look at them is one way that we can do this. This year, 2018, marks the 50th anniversary of the Tet Offensive, which was part of the American War in Vietnam. In some ways, the Vietnam War does not seem all that long ago, but with each passing year, the number of Vietnam veterans decreases, and the NAM is an increasingly distant memory for today's service members. Nevertheless, the specter of Vietnam and its aftermath continues to influence strategic thinking, military organization, conventional wisdom, and doctrine. So to help us take a deeper look at the Tet Offensive and its legacies, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio today by Dr. Frank Jones, who is Professor of Security Studies in the Department of National Security and Strategy. Frank is a longtime practitioner scholar and has recently finished a book chapter on the Tet Offensive and specifically the battle for Saigon. So he is ideally suited to helping us tackle this important subject. So Frank, welcome to the War Room. Oh, thank you. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Great. So if we can start maybe by getting just a brief rundown of the Tet Offensive, the sort of who, what, when, where of the, of the campaign. So what are we talking about here? Uh, we're talking about, uh, when we use the word Tet Offensive, principally in the minds of many people who studied the Vietnam War, we're talking about a period of time in late January into February of 1968. And uh, it, it's named Tet because of the Lunar New Year uh, celebrated in Vietnam. And so the uh, who involved in this is principally four actors. The United States, it's a diplomatic and military mission in South Vietnam, uh, the North Vietnamese, the Democratic Republic of Vietnam, uh, the National Liberation Front, better known as the Viet Cong, and of course the government of South Vietnam, its military and political aspects. So that's the who. The what is that generally it's understood uh, by most scholars and those who were actually experienced uh, the Tet Offensive as a, an attempt by the North Vietnamese and their allies to basically uh, create a, what is known as the general offensive, general uprising. That means the general offensive would be the military attack, and the uprising would be that the situation in South Vietnam um, at the time was conducive to an uprising by the South Vietnamese people against their government, to overthrow the government. And in fact, those were essentially the strategic objectives of the North Vietnamese government. Uh, that was to uh, decimate, if you will, the military forces of, of South Vietnam to uh, get rid of, uh, overthrow the uh, regime in Saigon, and then also to debilitate uh, the uh, U.S. military mission as well and convince 
uh, the United States that it could not win, and convince the American people for that matter. Uh, the North Vietnamese were very aware that 1968 was an election year, a presidential election year. So the uh, where uh, of the campaign, and it is a campaign, I think that has to be understood, this was a campaign that had three phases to it. And when we talk about the 10 offensive in January, February, we're talking about the first phase. Uh, but they, it took place throughout South Vietnam. And it was principally uh, directed against urban areas. In fact, more than 100 towns and uh, cities were attacked, uh, including 36 of the 44 provincial capitals, uh, five of the six autonomous cities, and 72 of the 245 district towns, as well as the capital itself, Saigon. So I think that sums up the, the general background of the offensive. Great, thanks. So that gives us a a really clear picture of just how big and how coordinated this would have been. Was this a surprise to the American forces and South Vietnamese forces in Saigon? I think that's a a matter of some debate. The question is, surprise, less so for the Americans. There seem to be a number of indicators and warnings that well, because of either human intelligence, captured documents, interrogations, that there was going to be some type of event of this caliber or this uh, intensity during the uh, Tet Offensive. Remember, the Tet Holiday was considered a, a period of ceasefire by both north and south. There would be a ceasefire for a number of days in which there would be a—this was a major celebration. It was a time to venerate uh, one's family, those who were deceased. It was a time to celebrate. It was the beginning of a new year. The year of the monkey was 1968. And so there was that element to it, but there was also a recognition by the government of Vietnam, since it was a holiday, nearly 50% of its authorized military strength was on leave. And the indications are from the GVN side, from the government of South Vietnam side, is that their intelligence was not, uh, probably did not take as seriously as some of the American intelligence. Great. So when when these coordinated offensives and attacks occur, what happens next? Is it clear who wins? Yes, I think that's another area of of contestation uh, among those who are scholars and those who study the war. I think there's two elements to that. Uh, uh, First of all, I think that we've tended, the, the overwhelming narrative has been the American impression. And, and the psychological uh, damage and political damage done to the Johnson administration. And I, I believe that's somewhat valid. I think there is also a question of, of who wins and at what op- operational level are you, or what level of war are you talking about? Are we talking about the tactical level, the operational, or the strategic? For the tactical level, uh, the United States, its allies, South Vietnamese and others, such as the Australian-New Zealand task force, were able to blunt the attacks. With the exception of the city of Wei, the ancient imperial city in the northern part of South Vietnam, which lasts into March, most of the offensive is blunted by early February. So from a military standpoint, the North Vietnamese did not obtain their strategic objectives. In fact, they were quite surprised, uh, as we're beginning to learn from sources in North Vietnam sources, that they were surprised that there was not the uprising that they had expected. 
So the question of about who won is a matter of, of debate. And I think one can make an argument in this time now, 50 years after this event, that there is much more to be reappraised here, and the dominant narrative needs to be reexamined. Great. So one of the things that that I've I've read and and studied some on on my own too is this idea that the 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 attacks are blunted, the offensives are blunted, the Viet Cong is essentially decimated, uh, probably actually even more than decimated. It's it's nearly destroyed uh, the indigenous. Um, insurgency of, of South Vietnam. But at the strategic level, like you said, the impressions from the American side seem to be quite different. I think in the American imagination, Tet is disastrous, right? It's an it's a unmitigated, unqualified uh, disaster for the Americans. So what is it that creates that impression? The general argument that has been made is that this was a, an event that mortally wounded Lyndon Johnson, the president, um, politically, and that scholars and other commentators have often characterized the Tet Offensive as the turning point of the, of the Vietnam War, um, especially given that it was the first time that Saigon, and I think that's where the Saigon and Hue, the two major cities that are under attack, but particularly Saigon, the capital of South Vietnam, had been attacked, and because of the magnitude, as you indicated earlier, of the communist uh, operation. So, but I would argue that the United States, the American people, proved to be more psychologically resilient than I think they're often given credit for. I would also point out that the Gallup polls taken immediately after the actions in January and February did not erode U.S. public opinion against the war substantially. In fact, that didn't happen until August 68 when, for the first time, a majority of Americans, 53 percent, held the opinion that it would have been a mistake to deploy U.S. troops to Vietnam. And as is clear from the, the, our understanding of what happens over the next several months after January, February of 1968, um, you have an election of a president, Richard Nixon, who's determined to keep, uh, maintain the course. Uh, so we're talking about five years later before the United right. States leaves. Uh, I think some of this is um, pr- problematic because Westmoreland himself probably failed to communicate to Washington policymakers the gravity of the situation in Vietnam regarding the likelihood of an ev- offensive uh, capability of North Vietnam in, in January, despite the intelligence reports that he had. And others see the American perception of the events as a distortion uh, by the American media, particularly how television and print journalists portray the events. And with respect to the latter, I think there is some evidence today that early reports were on, often erroneous. They were based on uncorroborated sourcing. And in other cases, journalists did not believe U.S. government reports as reporters considered the spokesperson untrustworthy and therefore uh, sought sources that would confirm their bias. So I think those are all factors into how this narrative has played out over the years. Sure. Well, in this this media piece, the Westmoreland piece, seems to be particularly important because the American um, MACV command in Vietnam had a track record of not being terribly truthful, of perhaps being overly optimistic in 1966 and 1967 about how things were going. Um, and so you have, a, you have a contentious relationship already sort of brewing between Westmoreland and McVie and the, and the media um, coverage of that war, and then it's exacerbated. And like you said, the, um, the erroneous reports, the, the, the claims that change over time, the uncorroborated evidence just sort of seems to spiral 
in some ways, in some ways here. What, what do you think that the Tet Offensive as a whole, does it reveal things about the nature of the Vietnam War? Uh, does it change? Does, does your sort of interpretation of it change how, how we should understand the course of this very long war that has multiple phases and multiple... Yeah, I think there's um, uh, perhaps a, it, we are at a time now, 50 years later, that we can look back after a generation or two of scholars have been, and, and people who are actually involved in the war um, can now, we've broken free perhaps by a third generation who mm-hmm. can now has a little bit more distance in time and can look at this differently. I think we have now have some, some access to the North Vietnamese uh, records, and, and we also, it's difficult to get the South Vietnamese uh, records because they uh, the, the country doesn't exist anymore. But I think we've tended to take a very U.S.-centric view of this. And I believe that younger scholars are now beginning to look at, perhaps because they, some of them speak Vietnamese, are beginning to broaden our perspective on this. And so while we've seen this through this American lens, I think it points to the continuing need among scholars to begin to look at the war from a North Vietnamese and South Vietnamese perspective. And I think that is one element that has been changing, and I believe that that has been lost in the narrative. I would suggest that um, this was a terrible, damaging uh, offensive against South Vietnam in terms of loss of life and property, but they did recover. They did set up a mobilization decree afterwards. The the Vietnamese people in South Vietnam saw the war differently. Uh, the, The atrocities... Uh, the depth of destruction that was uh, hurled against them gave them a pause as to what might happen if they were to lose the war. So I think it had some very salutary effects uh, as well. So in some ways it could galvanize the South Vietnamese population against what might happen should the the North win, right, at a a strategic level and and, and achieve their strategic objective. Absolutely. I think there was a a large enough part of the population that was horrified by what had happened in terms of of assassinations and other atrocities. Mm -hmm. And second of all, I think there was a, and that gets lost, I think, to some degree. And I think the other part of it is, as you just suggested, is this ability to galvanize people, that there is no more, the level of fence-sitting is is eroding. And I think, as you pointed out, part of the other issue is that the— Viet Cong infrastructure, the ability to, to the, the actual Viet Cong guerrillas and the main mm-hmm. force units are exposed. The southern cadre is, as you pointed out, uh, decimated. It's really destroyed. And that does, uh, there's a setback in terms of pacification of the countryside, but that begins to uh, be overcome. And really the most immediate need uh, from February into the uh, spring and into the summer is recovery. And so the United States right. works very closely with South Vietnam in, in project, re- or project recovery to get uh, the uh, rebuilding of the, of the cities and the other destroyed properties. Sure, absolutely. And so in, it, it's interesting to me because in some ways what you have laid out is the idea that Tet, the Tet Offensive may have been a turning point in the war, it, it did certain important things and had effects at tactical, operational, and strategic levels, but it may not have been the turning point that we have imagined it to be uh, in the sort of popular narrative of the war where the Tet Offensive is the thing that, that turns American public opinion away from the Vietnam War, that demonstrates the um, incompetence of the South Vietnamese government. 
and so on and so forth. And so I think one of the one of the things I'm I'm picking up is this need for us to look at historical events uh, critically and rigorously, and to really understand cause and effect relationships um, that that go beyond a surface level uh, attention to that. Yeah, I think part of that is also, as you know, is is what becomes the dominant narrative and how the war, this war itself, Vietnam War, has been examined principally through American eyes. And also the fact that we don't, we as Americans don't have a lot of Vietnamese speakers. And the Vietnamese historians, the, the North Vietnamese have been very reluctant right. to tell their side of the story other than the, the official histories, if you will. I think part of it is also that one has to look at this and, and realize that the South Vietnamese government did not fail, did not, did not fall, that the, um, there was not no uprising, that the, the army of, of Vietnam, the South Vietnamese army, uh, actually uh, comported themselves quite well, uh, as did the American units. So I think, I mm-hmm. think you're right. I think there's a, a way of looking. Turning, turning point suggests something you can look at at hindsight. Right. But as you're suggesting, one has to look at this and be more panoramic, expansive in how one looks at the, a campaign. Absolutely. I think, too, when we talk about other perspectives, we have to remember um, not only is it an American perspective and a North Vietnamese perspective and a South Vietnamese perspective, there are Chinese perspectives. And um, we know that there is correspondence between North Korea and North Vietnam and between the Soviets and, and their communist uh allies. Of course, the Americans had allies as well. You mentioned the um, Australia-New Zealand uh, task force. There are, North Co- uh, there are South Koreans fighting in Vietnam. So this is a, it's an international war as well. In 1968 uh, is a year of international importance as well with um, protests and riots mm-hmm. and things like all over the world. So it's an enormously complicated international situation uh, in which this this campaign takes place. And so putting that into context, I think, is is a key thing that, that we ought to do. Um, and again, I think maybe that distance helps, right? The 50 years um, gives us just enough time, perhaps, to, to get some objective historical distance from the from the immediate um, events on the on the ground when you look at the Tet offensive again now in in hindsight what do you think are the things that current practitioners or students of war and strategy um, might best observe or might best learn by the careful study of this campaign well, I think part of it is the ability to see not only Vietnam but w- many wars from di- having from different perspectives. That there is a political dis- aspect to to war, obviously. There is a military aspect, obviously. There is also an economic element to it, and as we just talked about, the narrative. There's an informational aspect. And so I think that one has to uh, be very cautious about being dismissive about how complicated this particular campaign is or, as you said, with setting it within the context of the broader war in Vietnam. I think that's important regardless of any conflict that you're looking at. So that's one element of it. Second of all, I think it, det- it, it really has to be looked at in terms of a relationship between the tactical, operational, and strategic, and that the psychological 
bruising that happens when there's a perception of loss, perception of cataclysmic or catastrophic events going against you. How do you how do you get to be psychologically resistant? How do how do leaders, political leaders in particular, react to these events? And that was uh, something that the Johnson administration over the few months had to, to had to react to, in terms of how do you understand the strategy in a post Tet world? Sure. So one of the one of the things that maybe we can we can close with is this observation that the relationship between tactical success and operational success and strategic success is not a guaranteed one, that succeeding at one level doesn't necessarily mean you're going to succeed at the other. And, and in this case, we see tactical success for the Americans within, within a, in some cases within hours and days, in other cases within a couple of months. But they're unable to translate that into strategic, into meaningful strategic uh, communication about how the war is going and what the war is about. And on the other side, tactical losses, really severe tactical losses um, that actually maybe bolster a strategic position in the in the long in the long run that don't actually um, have much have much cost. So this idea that perception in war matters quite a lot, uh, I think is is an important um, takeaway as well. So are there any closing thoughts or final? No, at the risk of repeating myself too much, I do believe this is a time for reassessment. I believe that the time to have historians, political scientists, and others who are interested in this war reassess some of the general impressions and some of the the narrative that has gone before created by people who were involved either personally or those who had their own view of the war. Uh, I think today, younger scholars, particularly those with, with skills in, in the Vietnamese language, uh, are beginning to give us a view that is much more sophisticated and much more complete in its analysis. Good. So with that reminder that the story is never final, uh, that there's always another angle, always another perspective, something else to look at, uh, we will close out for today. Thanks for joining us on the War Room podcast, and we'll see you next time. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.